So we're here at Marshall's with Liz for some holiday shopping. She's really nailing it this year, isn't she? Oh, yep. She's got a record player for Amy. A gorgeous cozy sweater for Jason. And some hot pink fluffy slippers for her sister. The perfect gift. Wait a sec. <gasps> She's getting a pair for herself. Well, with prices this good, it would be rude not to. You know what? She totally deserves it. Oh, totally. Happy holidays, everyone. See you at Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at, at Marshall's. Marshall's. Hi, this is Jay Billis of ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. There's a gentler side of Florida just waiting for you to discover it. Where America's first resort destination was built and genuine hospitality began. A place with cleaner sands, warmer waters, and fewer crowds. A place different than the rest. One that exceeds, excels, and surpasses all expectation. Waiting here just for you. We are the original. The one. The only. The Palm Beaches. Today I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. The ML Sports Platter, back with you all over the major platforms like Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, Deezer, iHeartMedia, Amazon Music, you name it. Download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review. We are brought to you by Camillus Golf Club, the Vince Aguirre Consulting Group, Rosie's Corner, and CNY Electrical. Log on to cnyelectrical.com, commercial and residential Electrical needs in and around Central New York and the greater New York State area. Sean and his staff do an amazing job at CNY Electrical, a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. So as I record this, <laughs> the Yankees won last night 3-1. to one. And it just doesn't matter. Um, you know, Yankee Twitter exploding, taking it day to day, all the cliches come out, right? Getting the confidence back. The skit is over. This is all after Brian Cashman telling the Yankees, we do believe in you. Aaron Boone is our guy. The same rah-rah bullcrap in the Bronx that we've experienced for the last several years. And even though the Yankees won, and even though they got a great start out of Jamison Tyone, who I thought actually could have gone out for another inning, and even though the bullpen was really, really good, and even though at the end of the day the goal is to win the baseball game, right? The inability to score for the Yankees during the game, it was real again, and in a win... It might have actually been the most pathetic display all year, which is really saying something in terms of, you know, leaving people on base, you know, the runners in scoring position and all the rest. They went one for eight with runners in scoring position, left seven guys on base. And the the inning in the, the, the eighth inning, they got handouts. 
I mean, that's really all it is. Aaron Hicks is hitting like 160. Right? Four-pitch walk. That's a handout. How do you... I mean, Aaron Hicks is so dreadful. How, How do you walk Aaron Hicks? You know? And then, later in the inning... They walk in, well, the, the wild pitch happens, right? And, and, and then, obviously, you had the, the bases loaded walk with, with Mike Ford. So, it's just, it's pathetic. The runners in scoring position thing is just, it, it's beyond a problem now. It's just, it's just an embarrassment. And, listen... Even if the Yankees rebound and make this a a great regular season, which they very well could because they're built for the regular season. They hit a lot of home runs. We've only played, you know, 16 games so far for at least the Yankees have. Even if they were to turn this thing around and win the AL East, they're still going to get drubbed in the playoffs because all of these things that they have in terms of, you know, where they're exposed, they will shine brightly in the postseason. Trust me. Lack of starting pitching, exposed. That creates your bullpen to get taxed, exposed. Don't hit with runners in scoring position, exposed. If you don't have starting pitching, bullpen, timely hitting, you're you're going nowhere in the postseason, you know? And the Yankees have Garrett Cole. And that's about all I know they have. You you might be a, a Yankee Twitter, you know, Yankee Homer, one of these, you know, new age Yankee millennial fans who screams from the hilltops, everything's good, right? Everything's great. Everything's amazing. Jameson Tyone's going to be the next, you know, David Cohn, <clears throat> you know. But the reality is Tyone still probably is only going to be able to give you five innings in the playoffs, right? And if he gives you those innings throughout the year plus the postseason, the bullpen's going to have to go in and try to save bacon. It's just not going to work. You know, and then you have all these other guys swinging for the fences. I mean, Hicks and Judge and Stanton and even Frazier and Torres. I don't even know what Glaber Torres' swing is anymore. You know, I really don't. I don't even know what the hell's there. I, I mean, I, I can't even, I can't even wrap my head around what the heck he's doing up at the plate. I mean, the guy is completely lost, and I don't know if the, you know, the, the inability to play shortstop with the Yankees putting him in a bad position uh, to play short. He's not a shortstop. Um, you know, you play him at second base. Is the fielding part now creeping into his head that he can't do that? And now at the plate, he's trying to overdo it. You know, he's he's trying to do too much to make up for all of his blunders in the field. I'm not sure. But this win doesn't do anything for me. It's a 3-1 win. whoop de da doo The Braves are good. Great. I get that. You know, they didn't have Okunia Jr. in there uh, with the abdominal strain. I think he's going to be out. Several games, I guess. I mean, he's day-to-day, but it looks like several several days. Um, you know, but still a very good team. Um, the Braves aren't really great offensively right now outside of Acuna and outside of uh, Adrianza, the, the right fielder who had, a, you know, who, who had uh, another hit in an RBI in this game. Um, and he was at a very, very nice start to the season. I mean, he's got an OPS of over 1,000. Uh, he's, uh, he's a really, really good player. And obviously they can move him around the outfield quite a bit with Acuna being out. You know you can play him. Um, you can play him in. in um, you can play him in the outfield. You can play him. I mean he's he's a third baseman by trade, 
but you can play him in the outfield, which they did against the Yankees. Like, you know, other than those couple, I mean, Pablo Sandoval in the Panda Bears kind of had a little renaissance here. He's hitting 333 as I record this, but really that's been it. They've had splashes. I mean, Heredia, the center fielder, Heredia's had, Heredia's been really good too. So Guillermo Heredia, he's 30 years old. He's a veteran, baseball nomad. Um, the Cuban, he, he's been pretty good. <clears throat> you know, and then they've had flashes from, you know, Riley and Swanson and and guys like that. Elbies has not done anything yet. Darno, you know, hitting around 200, 215. <clears throat> Ozuna, nothing really that, that you know, special yet. Freddie Freeman's only hitting 233. Um, so it's been splashes from guys, and then it's been like Aredia, Adrianza, and, and probably and Okunia, you know, and Sandoval. Um, those guys, so they're not, you know, it's not a one to nine juggernaut here. There are holes there. This isn't the Dodgers, but the Braves are still a pretty good team. You know, they're a decent. I picked them to win the division, win the world series. Um, <clears throat> Charlie Morton, you know, typical Charlie Morton stuff. I mean, Rays, you know, Astros just shoving it up the Yankees behinds. I mean, one earned run, two walks, six strikeouts, gave up the home run to Gio Urshela, but you know, I, I didn't think, I mean, I, I, you know, Morton took the hill. I didn't think the Yankees were going to be able to score a run. I really didn't. Um, because their offense is so putrid. But things are not going to get better. <clears throat> Just because they won this game, hell, they could win both against Atlanta. They could go on a, you know, win 15 of 18 type stretch, 21 of 25, 25 of 32, um, you know, 30, 35 of, you know, of, of 42, 45 um, victories. It won't, it won't matter because the makeup of the team is the same. They're over-reliant on right-handed hitting. And from a power standpoint, they, they all swing for the fences. You know, this team is also aging very fast. And it's funny now to listen to national baseball people, New York media, right? Man, the Yankees roster, I can't believe. I did shows on this a year to two years ago. Multiple shows, multiple articles about the Yankee window fast approaching a close because they have too many guys who are getting up there. I mean, Judge Sanchez, all those guys up in up in near thirty, Lemayhu, you know, mid to upper thirties by the time he's done with that deal. Stanton's contract is the worst in baseball. He'll be in his upper thirties by the time that's done. Aaron Hicks on the books until age thirty-seven, which is absolutely deplorable. You know, Garrett Cole will be up there by the time the contract is in into that midway to upper uh, point. Okay, Brett Gardner's already thirty-seven. Um, this is not a young roster. I mean, this is why, you know, all those cracks that they had going to the postseason, winning 100-plus games, you know, the ALCS surprise in 17, you know, last year, uh, two years ago, pardon me, 2019. Sometimes 2019 feels like last year, by the way. Um, you know, but, you know, you, you have the rematch. With, you got to win that series. You know, you got to get to the World Series at that point, right? I mean, especially LeMahieu hitting home run, you know, to tie it up late. You, you you gotta you gotta win that series, you know. I mean, you, 
you know, you, you've got to get 2-1. You've got to win one with this group. And I just think this team is really now far, 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 far away from it. And they just get worse and worse. I mean, they get worse and worse at the plate. The approach at the plate is 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 abysmal. I just had Kevin Kernan on from Ball 9, and we talked about this ad nauseum with, you know, the Yankees and Stanton in particular. I mean, he just goes up there, and he, he, he just looks like he doesn't want to be up there. He looks like he doesn't know how to swing a bat, how to play baseball. And it, it, it's a major concern right now for the Yankees. I mean, this is this is brutal. This lineup is brutal. I mean, it is it is it is right-handed, dominant for power, swing for the fences all the time, no matter who's on base. And there were a couple of moments where, you know, I thought the Yankees did a decent job from a pure, you know, hitting standpoint. You know, Aaron Judge had hit the ball the other way. LeMahieu did, but LeMahieu, you know, LeMahieu almost doesn't count when we talk about anything with the Yankees because he's like the guy you know, who you wish could hit nine freaking times, right? I mean, let's be honest. Um, you know, they they showed some decent things hitting-wise at times, but the overall team is just, you know, that's who they are. Now, I will say, with Talkman and with Ford and with Gardner, to a degree, Aaron Hicks, when he's in there, he shouldn't be in there. But, you know, if you have a right-handed hitter and, you know, you you play him at left, you know, from the left-handed side, I don't know. I mean, I guess you got to kind of platoon and, and flip around and screw around and, and put people in because, you know, if you play Talkman and you play Gardner, you can't, you know, you're not playing Hicks, judges in right field. And that's what they did. They pinch hit Hicks. They pinch hit Frazier last night. But... When you put Talkman in there and Ford in there and 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 Gardner in there, and by the way, Gardner hitting third. I mean, what is going? Why? Why do they keep doing? Oh wait, that's right. The the stupid analytics, the geek squad in the front office with Brian Cashman, a bunch of morons. I mean, is it possible in life to be more dumb and more clueless about something, but yet be so smart with a degree that says so in these Ivy League guys? I mean, really. You know, it's it's an embarrassment. But I like, I will say this, I like this lineup better. And I'll say it again, like I did the year before, the year before. John Carlos Stanton is such a waste of time at DH. He's hitting 170, by the way, as we record this. Aaron Hicks hitting 160. Listen to some of these batting averages, by the way. And Mike Talkman's brutal at 111. I know what I just said about the left-handed side, you know, liking those guys to be in there more. But... Batting average, you know, with these analytical morons, you know, batting average doesn't matter. It's our OBP and RBI. Okay, well, RBI, Yankees aren't even getting RBI, by the way. But batting average has to matter a little bit. I mean, when you look at numbers like this, 111, 160, you know, 214 from Sanchez, 182 from Torres, 170 from John Carlos Stanton, how does batting average not matter? 214 from Brett Gardner. When it's that low, how does it not matter? Just like if somebody's hitting 340, you know, how does that not matter? I mean, come on. Um, this team is pathetic from a construction standpoint. But I do like when the lineup is the way it was last night better. And I will say it again, and I got sidetracked with the batting average thing because of Stanton. I, I, I would, if when Luke Voigt comes back, and you know where I stand. I did a podcast with Matt Michael 
on this, we both agree that, you know, they should have traded Luke Voigt because Luke Voigt is exactly like so many other players in that lineup. He fields his position, at, you know, on an average level and he just swings for the fences and he's a right-handed power guy. So, to me, though, they're never going to trade Luke Voigt because that's not something Cashman would do because it's too intelligent. But if, you know, if and when Voigt comes back, <clears throat> bench Stanton for a couple of games. He's making $30 million. I get it. Guy's clueless. Give him a series off. You know? I mean, if, if it were me, I would almost pull like a Tory when he, you know, lowered A-Rod in the order. I would almost send Santa to the alternate site. Like, hey, here, here's seven to ten vaca- seven to ten day vacation. You know, go kick your feet up. Go take a nap every day. You'd be more productive than up, you know, up at the plate. You know, with guys on on base, my God, Stanton is a joke. You play Luke Voigt there, and all of a sudden you got you know you got a different deal there. At least Voigt can get the ball to the outfield to get a run home if there's somebody on third. So, you Yankee fans, you go nuts! You go nuts over your three-one win over the Braves, <clears throat> minus Acuna Jr. You 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 know you you go nuts about the fact that they beat you know Charlie Morton and. See, we didn't have to sign Charlie Morton in the offseason because we just beat him. Well, actually, right? They're relying on damaged goods after Garrett Cole and Tyone and Kluber. Herman's been horrible. Severino, roller coaster career for the Yankees. Who knows if he's going to come back? Lack of starting pitching. Jordan Montgomery, still a question mark. Lack of starting pitching creates tax bullpen. Overabundance of right handed power hitters. Can't put the ball in play. Can't get guys home. Striking out all the time, <clears throat> lack of speed, terrible defense, guys who just don't belong, plus putting put, uh, players in, in positions they don't belong, a la Glaber Torres at short, and sticking with players too long, a la Gary Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, what are they going to do, rebound and win the ALE? So bravo, because they're going to get crushed in the postseason. Absolutely crushed. All right, before I... um have the second part of this podcast here. I wanted to quickly tell you folks about Bryant and Stratton College, the official college of the ML Sports Platter. Go ahead and visit bryantstratton.edu. That's bryantstratton.edu. Two and four-year degrees start all the time. Make sure you go get your degree crafted at Bryant and Stratton College. A big thanks as well to the Allen Angus Pub, Brian Conboy, of Mass Mutual New York State, and Stanley Law Offices, an ML Sports Platter title sponsor. Together, they'll work to get you the maximum award. So I'm going to do a little cross-promotion here on the ML Sports Platter. For many of you out there who listen, uh, and again, I can't thank you enough for the downloads and the subscriptions and the five-star reviews and the feedback. Please keep it coming. That stuff goes a long way in the podcast world. Um, I also host Bill's Brawl for the Brawl Network and I just recently had on NFL Hall of Famer, the former Buffalo Bills head coach, Marv Levy, four straight Super Bowls with the Bills. Um, where else would, would you rather be than right here, right now? Recently had him on my podcast. And so I'm going to play that interview inside the ML Sports Platter for a little bit of a cross-promotion. Here is the Hall of Famer, led the Bills to four straight Super Bowls, the great Marv Levy. 
listening to a Broad Network production. This is a podcast for the best fans in the NFL. Are you in the mafia? Am I in the what? It's time for a Bills Brawl podcast. It is time for another episode of the Bills Brawl. I'm Mike Lindsley, your host. Hit me on Twitter at Mike L Sports and of course at Bills Brawl as well. All a part of the Brawl Network. Bills Mafia, thank you so much for tuning in. And I'm about to bring on a special guest. If you're a Bills fan, you can't thank this guy enough. You really can't. He, uh, of course, was the head coach of the Bills from 1986 to 1997. He's a Bills Wall of Famer. He has 112 wins uh, in his Bills career, NFL 1990s All-Decade Team, four-time AFC champion, four straight Super Bowls, Sporting News NFL Coach of the Year, two-time UPI NFL Coach of the Year as well, and uh, he simply is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's the great Marv Levy. Marv, thank you for a few minutes. How you been? Good to talk with you again. Well, my pleasure. Always great to find a way to communicate with the NFL, and especially, of course, Buffalo Bills fans. So, through the 2020 season, as you're watching this Bills team get to the AFC Championship game, how, how was it for you? It must have been an incredible ride to watch it and, and an emotional feeling for you, kind of taking you back in time to the glory days when you were head coach. Well, yes. Uh, I have to admit, uh, I'm not nowhere close to following it. Uh, as I did back in the days when I was coaching, of course. I used to know every assistant uh, equipment manager and every team in the league. I couldn't name the full Bills roster or their full coaching staff right now. I am blown away by the way coaching staffs now have 20 people or more. That would be confusing to me. <laughs> Nevertheless, to answer your question, uh, sure, I sure felt great for the Buffalo Bills fans, for the organization. I had gotten to know their new coach, uh, Sean McDermott. Think very highly of him uh, on the side. He's a William & Mary alum. I coached there yeah. for five years. Every single player on the team, they were the essence of the student athlete. Every single one graduated and went on. And, uh, uh, and so I, I felt very strongly that tie, uh, too, was there. And once in a while, I did get the shot talk with Sean over the years but like Bill's fans I was excited by the progress they're making you know Marv there there have been a lot of people who think that McDermott is kind of has a little bit of Marv Levy in him you hear that and and Josh Allen has a little bit of Jim Kelly in him when when you hear that comparison the head coach and the quarterback and that connection you know what is it what is what does it mean to you to to, to kind of be connected to these these current guys and 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 that bond is important right between a head coach and a quarterback because you re, you really got to be on the same page and you and Jim were and it seems like Sean and, and Josh are as well well that's probably true again I'm not as, as deep into understanding their relationship but it sure does have to be good and uh if, if uh People are comparing me with uh, Sean. That's a compliment because 
I, I do have a lot of regard for him and how he's handling the situation, how he handles those setbacks that do occur during the season. Yes, this is the, the best quarterback uh, since uh, – uh, that the Bills have had since Jim Kelly. And uh, so the, those comparisons are understandable, very definitely. Marv Levy, the Hall of Famer, our guest here on, on Bills Brawl. I'm Mike Lindsley. Um, where else would you rather be than right here, right now? I mean, Marv, they're printing T-shirts uh, of, of that saying still. Uh, the fine folks at 26 shirts in Del Reed, they're printing shirts. People still say that all the time. And this year people said it a lot again, because every Sunday was like the old days, like the nineties, you know, Bills fans were getting crazy over their team. When did that saying really start for you? Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? When, when did that start? When did you first use it? Well, uh, all right, I'm going to take you back a long, long way. Way back when I was an assistant coach at the University of New Mexico in the 1950s, wow. uh, our head coach, he had been my college coach when I played at Go, uh, Dick Clawson, a wonderful guy, was offered the athletic directorship at the University of Arizona. He took it. We were uh, spring practice over thing, and they promoted me to head coach um, of, of the New Mexico team. At that time, I was the youngest head coach in major college football. Uh, many, many years later, I was tied with George Allen for the oldest in pro football. But getting back to your question, right before the kickoff of uh, the first game that I coached, we were there in Albuquerque, the wonderful Sandia Mountains in the background. Uh, it was a beautiful day. The band were playing. The pretty cheerleaders were dancing. And the players gathered around looking for a little bit of wisdom. And a feeling washed over me, and I blurted it out. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? And that's what I said before the kickoff of every game I coached during the remainder of my coaching career. Oh, man. I You know, I loved those teams growing up. And, and I was, uh, let's see, nine. I was, you know, middle school, high school back then and, and – Every game, I felt like the Bills were going to win. You could pencil in 12 or 13 wins and home games in Orchard Park and four straight Super Bowls and the games against Shula and Marino. And, oh, my gosh, what a time that was, Marv. And, and so it brings me to this. Do, do you feel like, as the head coach of those teams and as time has moved on, do you think that the country has embraced the 90s Bills and what you guys did do you think that the country has understood more and appreciated what you guys did going to four in a row? You didn't win one, but getting to those four and being that great of a team as time has marched on, do you think people appreciate you more? Uh, maybe so. Uh, I often run into people in the airport who will come up to me and know me and tell me, uh, uh, quote, I am the number one Buffalo Bills fan. They have once I had to say somebody, I have never met the number two <laughs> Buffalo Bills fan. But, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, the Buffalo Bills fans were a part of the reason that spurred us to fight our way back despite the, the terrible disappointment of losing those games to fight our way back in again. They were, they were fantastically and still are supportive people. And it's very interesting to know that about 20% of that Buffalo Bills fandom did come from Canada, yeah. so uh, that, uh, 
Marv Levy, the Hall of Famer. A few more questions here on the Bills Brawl. I'm Mike Lindsley. Uh, four straight Super Bowls, amazing. A Wall of Famer and a 90s All-Decade Team member. I, I just brought up Shula, Don Shula, a minute ago. Um, wh- what do you think Don learned from you through the years, and, and what did you learn from Don? I know the spirit of competition on the field was one thing, but you guys you guys grew to be real good friends, Marv, through the years. Absolutely. Uh, I, I had great respect for Don Shula. He taught clean football. He played by the rules. He uh, had so many uh, qualities that I had hoped to emulate. We became great friends even when we competed so fiercely with each other. And then in the many, many years after that, we did stay in touch. We, we were uh, excellent friends. Uh, I can remember one uh, <laughs> humorous situation at a league meeting one year when we were both still coaching. And my very young, pretty daughter was there with us. And Don said, hey, Marv, I'd like to introduce your daughter to my son. Well, both of his sons were coaches. I said, wait a minute. If they wind up getting married, Don, she'd have a coach for a father, a coach for a father-in-law, a coach for a husband, and a coach for a brother-in-law. Forget it. No way. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. You know, Ralph Wilson was a, was a part of the Foolish Club. Um you know, he and, and Lamar Hunt and, and, and the whole crew that challenged Al Davis, they challenged the, the NFL, said, look, we're, we're, we're top dogs too. I mean, we're, we're pretty good over here at the AFL level. And Joe Namath, Super Bowl three. we know the history, Marv. Ralph Wilson is the owner of the Bills as we go through time again, that appreciation thing. You look back at, at what he did. Why doesn't Ralph Wilson Jr. get get the credit that a Lamar Hunt does or – and Al Davis does. You know, he was a part of that group. He made a lot of decisions. He helped he helped the TV money. He helped the, the AFL really break in with the NFL. Why doesn't he get more respect, Marv? Well, from the people within uh, NFL uh, community, he sure does. Uh, he was a fantastic guy to work for. High character. Uh, he sometimes speak very strongly about something. I remember one time... Two of our coaches got in a fight with each other at a team meeting, and it upset Ralph, and he called me, and he said, Marv, I want you to fire those two guys. <laughs> I told him, Mr. Wilson, I can't do that, even if it costs me my job. They're high-character guys. It was a, Finally, he said at the end, but ah, I still don't agree with you, but you're the coach. And Ralph and Bill Polian, our fantastic general manager, and I were able to communicate so well, often disagree with each other, but never be disagreeable, and um, he, he was he was a wonder, and he made some darn good suggestions sometimes too. And uh, I did hear, and when I didn't follow some of his suggestions, uh, we could still be on a very amiable uh, relationship, in a amiable relationship. Steve Tasker not in the Hall of Fame still really bothers me. What made Steve Tasker? so special as a football player, a guy, and goodness, Marv, I mean, he, he's, he should be in Canton. There is no question about it, uh, Mike. The, the football, is, the, the, the game of football depends on three equally important elements of play, offense, defense, and kicking. There are one or two kickers in the game, but there has never been a special team player without a doubt 
anywhere that can come close to comparing oh. to Steve Tasker, whether it was covering kicks, blocking kicks, uh, so many other things that he could do so well. And I remember Don Shula, who you mentioned one time before, one game when we were chatting out on the field, our teams were warming up. He said, Marv, you know that guy we have to prepare for the most on your team? He said, uh, not Jim Kelly, not Thurman Thomas, not Bruce Smith. He said, Steve Tasker. Here's a guy that was elected seven times as the cap- as one of the co-captains of our football team. He went to, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but it was in the area of ten consecutive, uh, 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 what do you call it, all-star games, NFL all-star games. He was once picked as the MVP in the uh, All-Star game at the end of the year. He is so deserving. I, I just continue to push and hope that he can get in to the Hall of Fame. And I also think one other, I'm going to deviate a little bit, I, I will continue to campaign, too, for Cornelius Bennett to go up on the Wall of Fame yeah. at the Bill Stadium. His contribution. He was the final missing piece when we finally added him and all those other great guys that catapulted us uh, into Super Bowl-type uh, abilities. I, you know, I, I just, I love talking with you. I love the I love the realness of you, Marv. I always have. You've been so great and so kind and um, just n- know so much about the game and, and so much about life. It's just, it's one of the most real conversations. I've been doing sports media now for, I don't know, 20 years or so, and it, it's just been such a delight. Um, you've, you've, been in the GM chair though as well. I mean, you 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 retired from coaching. You come back to the Bills uh, as a general manager for a short time. Um, how hard is this time of year? I know it's a different era than even you as a GM or as a head coach. But how hard is it right now? How nerve wracking is it as a head coach or a GM preparing for the NFL draft? Oh, no, it wasn't nerve-wracking. You know, honestly, it was almost part of the fun. Uh, there were things, though, within the internal part of the organization that sometimes you disagree. Mr. Wilson thought we ought to get this guy, or Bill Boyd said, oh, no, I'm telling you, this guy up is here. And, uh, and uh, you know, but uh, there, there, boy, there's a lot of conversations. You have to organize it well in our organization. Uh, once again with a general manager like Bill Polian, was so well organized and, and we were collaborative and cooperative in there. But I can remember one time when uh, we needed a running back very badly. Uh, we needed a, a running back very badly, and uh, we only, didn't have a first-round choice. We had to trade it away for Cornelius Bennett. Six running backs went in the first round, and our running back coach, Eliza Pitts, had been campaigning all along. He thought the best one in the draft was some guy from Oklahoma State. <laughs> Thurman <laughs> Thomas, yeah. yeah. His name, by the way, uh, in case those fans have never heard of it, was Thurman Thomas. Yeah, yeah sure, they never heard of it. Anyway, uh, Elijah campaigned, but Thurman had come off of a very devastating knee injury, and everybody was afraid his career was over. And uh, I did make a call to their coach. He said, no, he's coming back pretty well done. So we went ahead and uh, and, uh, and, and Eli- 
Elijah campaigned so hard, he had followed, said this guy is not only a great player, he has character and so on. And so uh, we finally said, okay, we're going to take him. And, of course, um, he performed, gained more yardage than the six running backs picked before him combined <laughs> in, their, in, in their career. And... Uh, Oh, there's no doubt. One day at practice, by the way, about the first two months into his first year there, yeah. I, I called Elijah aside and said, Elijah, this guy Thurman Thomas, you talked about, did you say that he had character or that he was a character? Because <laughs> he was a lot of fun. And he was a, a prankster and things of that nature. He was a character. Yeah, I thought the NFL Network really missed it when they did the top ten running backs of all time list. You know, they, they did the positions all the time and... Uh, everyone, QB, wide receiver, running backs. Uh, you know the all all century team. I guess is what I'm I'm thinking of. Not the top ten running backs. Although I don't even think he made that list. He should have been top ten running back list of all time easily. He was an all purpose back who was dominant during that time and I, almost a pioneer of sorts for guys like Curtis Martin and and Marshall Falk and and other other dual Ladanian Tomlinson dual players. Uh, what a player he was. I mean, just an unbelievable difference maker. Marv Levy, the Hall of Famer here on the Bills Brawl. Marv, two real quick ones to go here, and, and I'll let you roll. Um, what did you learn in the CFL during your time? Well, i tell you, one of the things I learned is that the same things win there that win in in the NFL or in college or in high school, it's not your system. It's not whether it's not whether you run a no huddle or not. If you run, throw, block, tackle, catch, kick, better than your opponent, you're going to win. Fundamentals, fundamentals. And I was speaking of fundamentals. I remember one day, hot, hot preseason camp we were at. When Bruce Smith came up to me after practice one day, he said, "Coach, I got a question." He said. Who put the fun in fundamentals? Because we did work on them very hard, and uh, so uh, that that was. Uh, there's so many things that I did learn. I also learned it isn't just a good coach or a good coaching staff or a great quarterback or or the best defensive player ever like Bruce Smith. That's that was why you win. It's total organization, owner, GM, scouts, people in the front office. Uh, people in the ticket office, yeah. uh, the coaches, of course, a, a total organization which contributes to success. So, Marv, final thing for you, and this has been so incredible to have you on. Um, you, you kind of are like Yogi Berra in a way to me, just to me, uh, maybe, or, or maybe to others, where I feel like you've lived, I don't know, 10 or so lives inside one life, you know, where... You you were in World War II, you know, and you were a head coach in the NFL, and you were in the CFL, and you had all these other outside interests and and successful stories to tell, and you have such a respect for uh, everyone in in every walk of life, you know, where you've been. Um, do you, do you ever think about? your accomplishments in, in that you've you've had that many lives inside one according to to me or others that it's just it's remarkable what you've accomplished. Do you ever do you ever sit back and think about it? Well I think about 
the lives and what I've enjoyed. Certainly, coaching has been a. I've been so fortunate with a wonderful family, wife, with a daughter, and great grandkids, uh, with friends. Being hired by a general manager like Bill Polian, coaching guys like Jim Kelly, and I can keep r- r- uh, running through so many others on the roster that uh, the sun would set before I got off the <laughs> off the phone with you. But uh, uh, no, I, I've been yeah. very fortunate. Great parents, great parents. My father, uh, uh, the hero of World War One, the Battle of Belleau Wood. Wow. Well, this has been amazing. Four straight Super Bowls with the Buffalo Bills, uh, one of the great coaches of all time, a Buffalo Bills wall of famer. It's Marv Levy. And Marv, for those World War II years in 1943 to 46, uh, you know, every American thanks you, of course, for that. And thanks for coming on uh, the Bills Brawl here. You're you're a true class act, and uh, you've come out with me many times. I Saw you at uh, at the mall in Syracuse. I've met you multiple times. Had you on the uh, on so many of my shows, and uh, it's just a delight to talk with you. And, and thanks so much for for coming on. And thanks for the memories, man. Really. And thank you, Mike. Always a pleasure to talk with you and be able to convey it to the great fans there. Thank you too. <laughs> Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments, where bold moves require confident blueprints, where you can accelerate transformation through consistency, where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at SAIC.com cloud. The moment you realized you were mistaking your kids for co-workers? Okay, team, I'm uh, taking my 15 now. Taking 15 what? Was the moment you knew it was time to get back to work. Let's job it up. At CareerBuilder, our simple, customizable search tool lets you search for part-time, full-time, and even work-from-home jobs so you can find a job that fits your lifestyle. Get started now at CareerBuilder.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.